This is the current federal tax developments for the week of August the 30th, 2021. Current federal tax developments are brought to you by Kaplan Financial Education and by your state society of CPAs. I'm Ed Zollers, and this week we're going to be looking at a couple of things that have happened. It's been kind of a boring week, not a whole lot going on in tax. That's not unusual for August because D.C. tends to take vacations. As you may have been aware, Congress has been out of town. Uh, not a lot of stuff comes out of the IRS and courts usually in August, and so it's a relatively quiet time. But we do have a couple of things we're going to take a look at this week. First thing we're going to take a look at is a court case where a taxpayer was attempting to claim deductions uh, after his business failed. He was attempting to look for a new trader business to get into. He was attempting to claim current deductions in that situation. Now, this is a good case because it helps us understand that you can't really have deductions for a trader business until you have a trader business. And that's something a lot of taxpayers and clients have trouble understanding. They really don't understand why, if they're out there looking for a business or they're trying to get something started, why they can't claim deductions immediately. And so we'll talk about under what conditions do you have the right to claim deductions for a trader business. We're also going to talk about a project manager's technical advice, PMTA, that looks at a situation created by the CARES Act and tells us that there may be some rather severe consequences if your client does not exactly deposit the proper amount on the proper date if they chose to defer FICA, the employer share of FICA, from 2020. I think the disaster that occurs if you're at off by the least amount is going to be far more extreme than you probably and your client would suspect for being off just slightly by being a day late or a dollar short in the deposit you're making. It will turn out to be a very, very bad result. So with that, it's not a very big week. So we'll talk about what we do have, which again, as I said, it's not a whole lot this week. Let's start with the first one, which is the Estate of Morgan versus Commissioner, Tax Court Memorandum Decision 2021-104. That decision came down on August the 23rd. Now, this involves a home builder who got really nailed by the real estate collapse in the 2008, 2007, 2008 timeframe. And so what happened in this case is his home building business, everything fell apart. You remember that from, you know, about, I guess at this point, 13, 14 years ago, that a lot of home building and home sales, we had the big buildup, then followed by the big crash. And that led to the Great Recession. Now, that caused some severe harm if you were in the business of building homes because demand for purchase of homes went through the floor when that took place. And so we had a huge problem. In this case, Mr. Morgan had been a real estate developer, had been building homes for 26 years up until everything fell apart in the real estate crash. His business went into receivership in 2009. And that was when, you know, he basically kind of, it fell apart he was totally detached. The receivership detached. They decided there was nothing really they could salvage in this operation. He wasn't really involved. And in fact, he kind of said, you know, that I'm, as he said, he wrote in September 
Uh, you know, he said, I'm really focused on what my next career is. It has been six months since I shut the company down. It has been a great summer of rest and time with my family. Career at Tulum will certainly involve acquiring a company or starting another company, probably in the real estate building field, but approaching it differently than I did in my first career. So essentially, his prior company collapsed. It shut down. He detached. He was not involved with that. And then he decided to go out and go about looking for what's going to be a brand new company. Now, as part of doing this and before the receivership got underway late in 2008, he established a new business, a limited liability company that was uh, called Legacy. And this was a disregarded entity, single member LLC. And its job was to go out and try to help him explore new businesses, right? What exactly went on? They would hire outside consultants to search for business. He had certain former employees from his old company uh, that he would pay uh, that would come in to keep information going. But what Legacy was trying to do was found was find a new business for Mr. Morgan. Now, in addition to this, he also maintained some contact with some home building industry. And in 2009, uh, Mr. Ryan, former vice president of the collapsed company and a close friend and business partner, Mr. Morgan, uh, became aware that a number of partially developed properties owned by the collapsing Morgan entities were available for purchase from the receiver. He approached Mr. Morgan uh, about you know, becoming a partner in this. Instead, Mr. Morgan lent money. Uh, to Pyatt Builders for $180,000 to purchase the property from the venture. But he did not actually go into business with this gentleman. He just had a standard secured loan uh, that was outstanding to him. Right? And finally, he also uh, continued a, an entity called Falcon LLC. Now, Falcon LLC held, operated, and maintained an aircraft. And Mr. Morgan, you know, liked to fly the aircraft now. He still had it, but primarily what the aircraft now did was it was used to help him go with legacy to go out and find businesses to take over, issues like that. Now, of course, he claimed losses from, you know, from both the aircraft business and from legacy was out searching. So all the expenses he incurred in legacy while he was out looking for a business, let's say paying consultants, paying for the uh, staff that was doing the record keeping for him, all the expenses of the aircraft in the old LLC, which was Falcon. All of that was sent through and he claimed that as a loss. Now the IRS said they examined him, took a look at his return, and indicated that one of two things was true about every one of these expenses. They said either, you know, they don't think there was a trade or business for the years in question. And all expenses had to either be uh, non-deductible personal expenses under Section 262 of the Code, or they had to be startup expenditures under IRC 195. 195 is where our clients tend to get in trouble. And why they get in trouble is because 195 does not allow you. Under the code, you're only allowed to deduct trader business expenses if you actually have a trader business. Looking for a trader business generally is not in and of itself a trader business. And if it's in, during that time period when I'm trying to get something started, but I'm not yet available and open for business, I'm allowed to capitalize those expenses and once I actually do start the business, 
you know, I'm ready, it's available, it's doing business, it's open to business, even if it doesn't have revenue at that point, if it's available to have revenue, available to do its thing, then you can start claiming the deduction. And that deduction is a straight up to $5,000. You get it immediately. Uh, from above 5000 up to 50000 you have to capitalize a part above five, about above five and up to fifty, amortize that 180 months. Once you get above five thousand, you began to lose the once you get above fifty thousand, I should say, you began to lose the five thousand immediately right off dollar for dollar. So by the time you get to fifty-five thousand dollars, you've got to amortize this over 180 months, essentially 15 years. But none of this starts until you have a trader business. So if you aren't, you don't actually have your trader business is not ready. You are thinking of starting up a gas station, but you never actually get the gas station. You know, you never actually open up the doors. You are thinking about it. You might be contacting the oil companies. You might be drafting up some proposed agreements. You have an attorney review some proposed agreements. But all during that time, you're not actually operating yet a gas station business. Now, if I was running a gas station business already, so I had a gas station trader business, and I was thinking about adding gas stations, I might incur some of those same expenses. But in that case, generally, I'm going to be allowed to deduct them because those are in support of the current trader business. Now, in this case, what happened is Mr. Uh, Mr. Morgan, who, by the way, passed away before this got to trial. That's why it's the estate of Mr. Morgan. If he actually had never abandoned his home building business, and remember, his goal was to get something like in the building trades in real estate. If he had never abandoned that trader business, then these could still be deductible, right? He just, you know, was there, you know, that this is just a continuation and looking to continue his business as before. But if he had actually abandoned the prior trader business, he had shut down and stopped, then the problem is he's not going to get any of these deductions, even if they would otherwise be business deductions, unless he's actually started the trader business. In this case, the court looked at his history, and what they decided was that in reality, uh, he hadn't really continued trader business. There were a couple of things he argued. First, he claimed he was still in the home building business. The court took a look at the history of the receivership and also his admission that he had stepped away and was now looking for a, quote, second career, that he had shut down the business entirely. Essentially, he was done with it. He had not continued to operate as a home builder during that time period. He had let that thing, he had let everything come apart, right? You know, the whole thing was shut down. Uh, he didn't really try to do much of anything except break away, take time, you know, and just step away from the business. So it was not a continuation of his old home building business. Now, he also tried to claim, well, no, no, he actually did continue. Because remember that loan to his former employee, his former officer, right, where he gave $180,000 to acquire those properties? He said, well, see, that that's a trader business. But the court noted that he had declined specifically to make an equity investment. Rather, he was simply loaning money to this gentleman. And he had never been in the business of loaning money. And secondly, a single loan standing by itself is almost never going to get you to the point of the regular and continuous test for a trader business that we see in the Grotzinger case, which is our test for what's a trader business. This is just more a you know investment of $180,000 in a loan, 
right? He loaned money, $108,000 personal loan. He would earn interest on that, but he was not earning trader business income. He was not in the business of loaning money. He's not going to be a threat to Chase anytime soon. So that was not a trader business, nor was that a continuation of his home building business. Yes, you know, the person he was working with, he used to work within the business. The person he loaned money to, he used to work within the business. Yes, that person was into home building, but he had declined to actually become a partner and get involved. So that gets us to the third thing. He said, well, I'm still continuing Falcon LLC, which was the airplane that I ran, you know, that, that supported my old home building business. And I'm continuing to do that. Of course, the only parties using this was were Legacy, which was out there using it primarily still trying to find that trader business. Since in many ways, Falcon's trader business was only to help him look for a trader business uh, and it wasn't being sold to any other third parties, they said, well, that's not really a trader business either. That's really more a support service for your non-business. You know, it was only a trade business in the past, arguably, because it was involved with your home building business. But now you're looking for a business which we he never actually found. So because of that, the issue is the courts ruled that all the amounts he'd incurred were essentially either startup business start expenses under 195 or personal expenses. Now, it really doesn't matter which one they are until we actually start a trader business. Then we go back and see if the expenditures, I suspect, especially some of the aircraft expenditures, were personal in nature or business in nature. But at this point in time, for the returns that they were looking at, it really didn't matter. Only when he tried to start writing them off in the future, which he, you know, he died not having found this business, um, would he ever get, would he ever be able to start deducting? And by the way, it also brings up another point that we've talked about in the past. If he is out there looking for a trader business, but then never finds one and gives up, he doesn't get any deduction. Again, these expenses are only deductible if he has a trader business. And if he doesn't start the trader business, the expenses will never become deductible. So unless you establish a trader business, it's the only way your startup expenditures will convert over to something that is currently deductible. We see clients all the time, you know, say they're deciding to go out and the real estate boom, the thing we often saw were clients claiming they were going out to start being, you know, doing real estate sales. And what would happen often is they would incur various expenses for their training. Well, that gives us the whole, you know, expenses, education expenses to start, you know, to meet the minimum requirements, etc. But they might go out and buy some other things they thought would be useful once they actually started to do something. Like, you know, buy a cell phone, you know, get, get some various memberships, things like that. But until they actually start out there, and attempt to get somebody to essentially have them buy a home through them or sell a home through them, they haven't really started their trader business. They've simply been thinking they should. They might have thought they should by doing something else. Expenses incurred while you are merely considering starting a trader business but have not actually started it are not deductible until such time as you've started up the business. Now it gets a little more complicated if you have a partnership or escort, a partnership or actually S or C corporation, because then there's a second category of organizational expenses that follows the similar five thousand rule, five thousand, then 
15-year amortization from 5,000 to 50,000. Then we start losing the 5,000 expensing, and then everything goes to 15 years eventually. But that's that's then when we looked at the entity's expenses, and it's a separate category with another pile of you know $5,000 we can expense immediately, and nothing starts. It's not always the same time because organization expenses, when the corporation starts up, is not necessarily when the business starts up, but they come pretty close to each other and we have similar issues. So again, the mere fact that your client goes out and does stuff that looks like business, in fact, it only gets in 195, it's an item that would have been deductible otherwise. So it's only going in there if it would have been deductible, but without a trader business, we have to hold on to it until that trader business starts operating. And if it never does, we never get the deduction. That's the problem you run into in Morgan. And, you know, clients have trouble understanding that because as far as they could see, you know, my, my buddy, who's a real estate agent, you know, you know, he's deducting all of this stuff all the time. Why can't I? Your answer is because so far you haven't done any work to actually attract anybody to use you to either buy property or sell property. And until you actually get involved in doing stuff like that, none of this is deductible. Merely thinking about doing it does not make these expenses deductible. We have to get the business going first. Now, next up is something that honestly, my clients for the most part declined. And I think a lot of us found clients did. But for those that didn't, the IRS in Program Manager Technical Advice 2021-007, which was issued on August the 23rd of 2021, has a rather nasty surprise. Now, what this does, if you remember, under the CARES Act, beginning in late March of 2020, any employer could have decided that rather than paying in the employer portion of FICA, right, Social Security taxes, with each of their payroll deposits and then or calculating them on the 941s, that they could instead have decided to hold back that money. The theory of that was it was going to give them some relief by giving them what was essentially an interest-free loan. Now, the way the rule read was like this. Normally, you would have to deposit the money. Maybe you're under the three-day rule. Maybe you're under the next-day rule. Maybe you're under the, you know, you do it once a quarter. Whatever your deposit period was, you would have to deposit those funds by that date. If you were late with your deposit, then you end up getting a penalty, which eventually goes to, if it's more than 15 days after the date it was supposed to be, you end up with a 10% penalty for failing to pay. Now, under these rules, what this said is, okay, those standard rules are in place. However, if you elected to use this rule, so long as you made your deposit for those employer FICA taxes, one half of them deposited by of the total you took out, of the total you had incurred through the end of last year, as long as you deposit one half of them on or before December 31st of 2021, and then deposit the other half on or before December 31st, 2022, then we are going to waive the penalty at that point. So the penalty would be waived. You would no longer have a penalty for having failed to timely deposit your payroll taxes. Okay. Now the problem indicates okay, what happens if we miss it? And let's take a simple example. 
that we miss it, let's say, you know, we come up here at the end of the year, right? We're supposed to pay $25,000. let us say we, we had $50,000 employer FICA. So $25,000 is due on December 31st of 2021. Well, let's say that we kind of foul that up and we don't get it paid until January 10th of 2022. The IRS looks at this and what they're going to tell you is that you have to strictly comply with that change, with that rule, or you go back to the original due date. And in fact, it's not just on the $25,000 that we have a problem. We now have a problem with the entire amount. By that, I mean, because you missed the $25,000 payment date, you didn't make that payment of $25,000 by December 31st of 2021. You owe a penalty equal to not 10% of $25,000. You might think, well, it's 10% of 25000 because that's what I missed. No, it's 50000 I should say 5000 And it could even go up to 15% if the IRS makes a demand for payment and you don't respond to that one within a very short time period. As we recall, that one is 10 days. From the date of demand, it would go up to 15%. So you could conceivably have a $7,500 penalty when the IRS demands that you pay the entire 50 grand now, plus the penalty. Now, the way it reads and the way this notice reads, they don't go into the details, but they do go into a second example. Let's say you pay that 25000 on time here in 2021. But next year for 2022, that's the year you foul up and you don't make the deposit until sometime in January. Again, penalty is going to be the entire 5000 even though you pay $25,000, which you might view as timely under this rule, you are still going to be penalized for that $25,000 because it, the whole waiver, the issue is, as the law is written, according to the IRS's view under this memo, the way the law is written, you have gotten a waiver of the original penalty. So on paper, you have a penalty right now, kind of a pending penalty that you only get waived if those payments come in on time. And if you take the logic of this ruling, you know, and just take it and apply it to its logical extension, if you were a dollar short on the amount that you deposited at the end of this year, that should also trigger the entire penalty. So you're a dollar short with your deposit at December 31st of 2021, you would owe, in this case, the example here with $50,000, you'd owe $5,000 as a penalty. Now, you can get out of the penalty if you can show reasonable cause, but the PMTA does not discuss what that is. That does open up a couple of possibilities that I probably should mention here. Because again, this PMTA is internal to the IRS. It's not really yet telling us what they're going to do. It is possible, especially if people complain about this, that the IRS might come up with some sort of safe harbor, reasonable cause relief, you know, or let's say, or give reasonable cause up to the amount that you paid in and maybe up to the amount to still do the next year, as long as you do that on time. But there's nothing yet that says that. 
And under the standard reasonable cause rules you're going to find if you go to the IRS penalty handbook, you're going to discover that those reasonable causes, just I forgot I owed it, is probably not going to count as reasonable cause. Rather, you'll get nailed with a late deposit penalty. And it's a series of penalties. So it would appear that even first-time abatement may have very limited effect in this area because you're going to end up being short on what's not going to just be one short payment, but a short payment for every payroll that you deferred your taxes on. So essentially, every payroll from late March of 2020 through the end of December, you're going to be late that, you know, having 15, 20 late deposits, I'm not sure the FTA is going to work for you, the first-time abatement. Even though late deposits are one of the limited types of penalties covered under first-time abatement that you'll find in the IRS Penalties Guide, it's supposedly just for the first one you do. And in this case, we're going to have a bunch of them. We're going to have blown it for the whole year. Will the IRS expand FTA to cover this if you had no other problems? Maybe, but remember, the other hitch is if your client's been late on anything else before and used FTA in, you know, in the prior couple of years, you don't have FTA available anyway. So if your clients, if you have clients that went out and decided to try to avail themselves of this Social Security FICA relief, you might want to start reminding them now about, remember that payment's coming up in December. Now, the IRS hasn't made totally clear how we're going to report that. I suspect it will be on the fourth quarter 941. But I would remind the clients that that deposit has got to go in by the end of the quarter. It's got to go in by that date. You don't get to wait till the 941 is prepared. You have to put that money in by December 31st. So by extension, you want to make sure they have properly computed that number and they are ready. And they remember, this is the big thing to remind them, a lot of clients may have forgotten about that entirely. In fact, the reason why most of my clients said they didn't want to do it was they didn't want to be on the hook for a big payment come the end of 21. Because their theory last year, which given some of the quirks we've had with the Delta variant, maybe this is not as quirky as it might have seemed, was, look, I don't know how long this thing's going to go on. I don't know how long the problems are going to go on. I don't know that December 31st, 2021, I'm going to be in any better shape financially than I am today. So if I've got the money today to pay the payroll taxes, I want to pay the payroll taxes today. And that's what most of them did. But if they didn't, remind them to start now saving toward that December 31st big payment coming up. Because if they miss that payment, the IRS apparently can demand the payment for the entire amount because you've blown the whole deferral and they'll be looking for a 10% penalty on top of it. So that could be, as I said, a very, very bad result that we'd like to avoid. As I said, not a whole lot. This is it pretty much for what's happened this week. We, you know, we are waiting on Congress to come back to town, We're waiting to see if the first infrastructure bill gets passed. But honestly, there's very, very limited amount of tax material in there. Uh, except for the cryptocurrency information reporting, which is a total mess because, yes, Congress doesn't really fully understand it and therefore trying to get information reporting us proved to be a bit of a problem um, and they couldn't get amended in the Senate. Uh, presumably, they'll try in the House. Uh, you know, we also have, we couldn't lose the ER, the employee retention credit uh, for other than recovery startup business for the fourth quarter. That's also in there. Other stuff in there tax-wise is very minor. 
So we, you know, we'll take a look at what's there, but nothing huge. But the bigger one will be that $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation bill. And if that is passed, where we go there. But again, all of that waits for Congress to come back into town, which they're going to do here in September. And of course, we all know we've got our due dates coming up now. The partnership date, partnership S corporation date on September 15th, our trust and, and estate dates on September 30th for extended returns and individual on October 15th, following which we all start getting our, you know, end of year stuff and tax planning going. So all that stuff gets to be fun. So, yeah, we got a few things to look forward to here in the next month and a half. Like I said, I do pay attention to the websites, to uh, the connect groups for the Arizona Society of CPAs, the New Jersey Society of CPAs, Minnesota, uh, Illinois, Washington. Uh, we'll also take a look at Idaho's uh, information on their uh, their new discussion board site that they have there. Be sure to post on any of these, and I'll try to I try to take a look at all of them. Uh, and if I see something I think I can help with, I'll try to say something. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Ed Zollers. I tend to post there when something happens, so we're around on doing that stuff. And otherwise, or you can email me if you have any questions. Ed Zollers at currentfulltaxvomos.com. Otherwise, though, it's about, you know, we're, we're, we got through this week, so hopefully things are going well for you, and we'll talk to you next week when we come back away from uh, Labor Day. Remember Labor Day? We're ending summer. Though nobody ever tells any of the weather here in Phoenix the fact that summer supposedly ends at that date. My guess is we'll still be nice and baking after that. But in any event, Labor Day is coming up. We'll get back. We'll finish up the tax returns for the uh, partnerships and those things. And come back and talk about things that are happening here for current federal tax developments.